0: You have like this different perception of like, what should a shoe feel like? And I have 100% had somebody who's had the same foot pretty much as somebody else, the same shoe, like one feels perfect to them and the other one is a little loose, you know, like, or it's a little tight. You're not fitting people's feet. You're fitting their mind.
1: ShoeCast. Hello. Hi. Hello. Welcome to the Stitchdown ShoeCast, where we talk quality footwear, how it's made, and all the things we love about it. I'm Ben from Stitchdown.com. Ticho is currently at Wegmans, just asking random people if they are, in fact, Danny Wegman on a secret shopping mission. One might be. We'll miss you, Ticho, but uh, this is obviously hugely important work. Godspeed. Today, I'm going to be chatting with Shiler Mao, CEO of Nick's Handmade Boots, the Spokane powerhouse that's been making fantastic work boots since 1964 and has really ripped onto the lifestyle boot scene kind of in the last three years or so since Schuyler took over for his dad, Steve Mao, right at the start of the pandemic. Great timing, Shiloh. You really made it easy on yourself. Before we get cooking there, we have a sponsor this week. It's Taft, whose very exciting new Stitch down line of Chelsea's and service boots refers to the construction style they're using, not somehow turning a teach or myself into an actual boot. Many have tried before. Doesn't work. Anyway, check out the Stitchdown line at taftclothing.com. And if you dig the shoe cast, we ask you so humbly to support it by becoming a member of the Stitchdown Premium community and the Stitchdown Discord, the place to have insanely in-depth but generally pretty darn cheery discussions about boots, shoes, leather, the industry, and more. Sick of getting all worked up for a new pair, which just ends up being the wrong size. The Down Discord has got you covered. Oh, yeah, it does. Uh, with our sizing questions channel, need to sell off the dozens of boots that you bought in the wrong size because you weren't hanging out in the Discord sizing questions channel? Well, say hello to our no-fee marketplace channel. Anyway, this place is great. There's so much more waiting for you, including the warm feeling of knowing that you, yes, you, help this shoe cast keep going strong. See you in the Discord. All right, let's get after it. Shyler Mao of Nick's Boots. What's up? What are you wearing? I'm good, man. How are you? I'm quite well. I'm quite excited about this. Fellow podcaster. Good to hear it. I
0: have a couple different pair, but I really wear these like 10-year-old builder pros like almost every day. Full height? Yep, 10. 10 inches. No shit. It's a great boot. You know, we say it's the boot that kind of started it all for us. So uh, that's not really true, but you know, it's a good slogan. What else is in the closet? I have some travelers that I resold to a unit lug once the crepe went through. That's actually in like a tobacco leather from Seidel. I've got some like really weird blue ink Roberts that are frankly a little loud for me. I don't know. I have like a Predator Orange Falcon. Got an old walnut Robert that I've had resold a few times. What's happened recently is like with all the different boots that we come out with, especially from a prototyping standpoint. Is we will often use ourselves as the um, guinea pigs. And so I've got a um, pretty sweet months and last Builder Pro. Oh. Yeah, that I really like. And so we're, we're bringing those in. I've kind of teased that on our, our socials and our Reddit. We just got the last sample in for the 55 version of that. It'll start out with just the H&W, the lower arch stuff, but then it'll go full arch here shortly. Wait, so it's months in front on your last? Yeah, it's got a little narrower heel. You know, I think the 55, it's a great last, but, you know, all lasts don't work for everybody. And so I think for especially those people with maybe a wider forefoot and maybe a little narrower ankle, a little little narrower heel, this is really designed for for those people. Yeah, I mean, in terms of
1: lasts that are supposed to fit everybody, here's Mr. Munson coming, right?
0: Yeah, and it's something different. I think, like, we're just kind of building out the profile you know, that we can accommodate. I think they look cool too. It's really a foot-shaped last. So I think that'll be appealing for a lot of people that that are faithful to Knicks and love high-quality footwear.
1: I love some Munson. I don't think we should be ashamed of the shape of our feet. (laughs) I wear Birkenstock Bostons too in the summer. If you've got frog-shaped feet, you know, the Munson might be for you. If you can swim really fast, the Munson might be for you. I went to high school with a kid with webbed feet. And I met him when we were like seven in swim class. And he's like, check this out. When I was seven, I was like, Oh yeah, cool. Shout out, Juice. What's up, man? I hope you're listening. <laughs> and then like when they
0: when you took that class on genetics in high school, they were like, Does your earlobe drop or not? And same with the webbed feet people. What you find out about yourself. I have one webbed foot. My second and third toe. Oh yeah. damn. Second, second from big. Here I am, all these years later, still jealous of somebody with a webbed foot. Yeah, but it's like one set of toes. So that's it's honestly it's a little
1: incongruous. All right. So you despite owning a company and being able to sample everything in your size, you don't seem to have the hugest collection. I respect that. Like wearing those ten year old builder pros that have surely seen uh, at least a few souls over the years, lacing them up every day. That's cool. What's everybody else wearing around the factory? What's the vibe over there?
0: You know, the Chelsea is kind of surprisingly popular to me. I don't really know why I say surprising, but it's been picked up a lot. I think people really like the, you know, the, the slip on component. The big trend right now is Either very light beeswax or no edge dressing. So just kind of that straight up natural leather look. That's very popular as well. The cypress charcoal that we already sold out of, that was a very popular
1: pick as well. So I was listening, and let's just get this one out of the way. You have a podcast now over at Nick's. You're coming for us. It's very threatening. I kind of like it. I was listening to maybe the most recent episode today where the natural edge versus beeswax was on there with Luke, the Q&A episode. What's going on there? There seemed to be a little, we have to clarify, we have to come on this podcast to talk weeks to maybe a month later after that episode airs just to clarify things from your own podcast. But there seemed to be a little dissent as to whether like a, a pure raw edge was even a possibility from like an MTO standpoint.
0: Well, we don't offer it. I mean, it's—I don't really know why not. Yeah, what's the concern? There's nothing. No, it's just you know, like never attribute to malice what you can attribute to maybe stupidity is too strong of a word, but oversight, miss oversights. Yeah, there you go. But no, like Lucas, he's our merch manager. He just like did it. Everyone at the sh- at the shop gets one free pair per year from the production floor to the sales staff, and that kind of leads to I think a lot of creativity. You know, if you're if you've been there for three or four years, like a lot of, you know, people have been there at least that long. You've, you start to accumulate a lot of boots and you want to mix it up. So actually some of our best models have come out of that. Alder Torres came up with that. He's one of our sewers and he's like an interesting dude. He like does letterman jacket repair on the side. So obviously very, very skilled guy and, and you know, into unique things. And so he he kind of came up with that, that height and that sole combo. There's no reason why it's not possible. So I don't know why Grant was saying that. Because Lucas clearly has no dressing on his boots.
1: Well, Lucas is causing all sorts of problems because his Thunderdome boots, every time I post them, people are like, I'll just buy these. That's Luke Larson, I think. We have three
0: Lucases, which I'm going to have to make a policy on. So that's too many. (laughs) Clearly, we might have to cut this out. Sorry to all Lukes. So, I mean, it is kind of funny. Like, we have literally a standing policy that you cannot post. A boot that is not available on the website to
1: social media. Sorry, because <laughs> well, I mean, it get people get upset and like, I'm, I'm, I'm the one who's post, I'm the one causing all these troubles. Right? <laughs> but guess what? It's you know just pure market research, and
0: now it's fair. Believe you me, know. they want
1: it. Yeah,
0: now so we talked about that today, like opening up more of the Wicked and Craig options. I feel like, you know, the way we do toe caps, for example, or the pull-on boots, they just consume more leather. And so I've been hesitant to offer them at their true cost, you know, which would be like another 150 bucks or something like that. So now all of a sudden you're talking like $800 for, for a pair of next boots, which is a lot. But I think we're just going to lean into it. I've kind of talked to some of our customers on Reddit and, and they're they're into it. I think we'll go ahead with that. The big, like, request is the mock-toe. And they just, like, the leather is so dry, and so, like, the mock toe stitching machine will literally, like, cuts through it. It doesn't have, like, the moisture content to have all those holes next to each other.
1: So we're still working on that one. That makes sense. But, yeah, I mean, it's beautiful stuff. I have a couple pairs of boots uh, in Wicked and Craig harness, both of them, and it's fantastic. And it feels stiff and tough, and I imagine you guys use a heavier weight, both of mine are... uh Made by one of my Indonesian friends, Rizki from Underhood. And this stuff's like 5, 6 maybe. I don't know if you're using something heavier, but man, it, like, it starts moving right away. And it's always like a little scratchy on the inside, especially if you're obviously if you're using it unlined. But fuck, man, nothing breaks like that. It, like it doesn't break. It's just, it's perfect. Size properly, size properly.
0: Yeah, we'll go 6, 7 usually. And like the double stuff that we we kind of help develop with Wicket
1: you know, I don't know. It's a tie between
0: that and the Latigo for, I think, the most interesting leathers that we carry. They're just from a patina standpoint, like, but the double stuff is really, really great. But so is the Latigo, you know, like you get those like stretch marks, you know, running up and down and they just kind of age really nicely and they've got a ton of variation in the, in the leather and the color. The tan Latigo, I think, is some of the best work we've done when I kind of see those out in the wild.
1: Yeah, I think it's cool stuff and you know not none of this stuff was ever designed to be a boot leather. It just happens to work beautifully for it, which I think is pretty cool. Double stuff probably different, but the latigo, the bridle all that. You know, you talked to Wicked. so when they first broke into the
0: tried to break into the shoe game, they were working with like big brands. I won't name names, but you know, you've, you would have heard of them. Maybe they've been in some rap videos or something, but they're used to a very uniform appearance in the leather. And, you know, they have these like QC standards and everything like that. And then Wicked just doesn't work very well for that. You know, you need somebody who's hitting, I think, a price point and a story that is like, this is like heirloom, maybe too strong of a word, but this is something that you're going to have for a long time. It's going to become interesting it's almost a conversation starter and like the way they do things. I think it's a perfect fit for that, but not for the
1: guys that require like a high degree of uniformity in their leather. No, I mean, you can't do it. It just doesn't work. So I don't know more for us, I guess. So before we get into the more recent version of Nick's under your helm, I'd love to throw this whole thing back a little bit and how the whole brand got here. So in terms of company history, in 64, 1964, company was founded as, and I'm pretty sure this information came from Grant two to three years ago. So we're going to say that it's perfect, rock solid stuff here. As Nick's Shoe Shop by Nikolai Belushin. Blacuzin, I think. Ah, Beclus- oh, See, that was a Grant pronunciation. I even have Lou capitalized, and I got this from a doc from two and a half to three years ago. Now I'm wrong on this on record. So that's, I don't know. <laughs> We don't have a recording of it. This is this is all guesswork. Anyway, it's just the whole thing is the, is the craziest story that I've heard that this guy, Nick, was in a prison camp in World War II and essentially escaped and walked at night staying on like random farms for nine months or something in boots that he probably made and at the very least repaired himself on this journey and then gets recaptured and then the war ends and he gets shipped to New York and then ends up out in Spokane, and, you know, all these years later, starts up this boot company that still exists to this day.
0: Yeah, no, it's a wild story. I mean, he actually, like, paid his way through the Ukrainian countryside with, like, cobbler work. Yeah, really extraordinary
1: guy. Don't turn me know? in. I'll fix your shoes.
0: Yeah, well, yeah, pretty much, you know. I mean, it, obviously with a sympathetic population, but he ended up here, and, and he worked for White's. Like, there's some interesting parts of the history. Like, we actually put together an article on it, so Otto White used to own houses and um, rent them out to his workers. And so Nick lived there. And then I think, you know, wanted to do his own thing. And so eventually started Nick's and was a kind of a virtuoso, you know, when it came to shoemaking. And I find it very ironic because one of the reasons he left White's is he didn't like just being part of a factory, you know, an assembly line. He liked to kind of take it. That's why the name of our podcast is From Start to Finish because that was his line. He's like... I make these boots from start to finish, which is obviously not how we do it now. You know, we have a more traditional step-by-step process, but he just loved making boots. Like there's stories of him, even after he retired, just popping in and and not even just to Knicks, you know, he would go to like work with Leonard at, at No Name Boots. He would go into Whites and help out. Just really loved the
1: craft and loved making the shoes. Love it, man. I mean, hell of a way to start, still bearing his name. And then... Tell me if I'm getting this right. Nick sold it to Gary Myers in like the mid 80s. Yeah, that was kind of an interesting story. Like, that was when I, I would say they
0: started really getting into the fire business.
1: Um, oh, interesting. So, what was it before that?
0: I mean, it'd be like your local cord winner. If you needed a work boot, you would go down there and. Um you know he would make it for you, but then they started to try to chip away at White's, you know, hegemony over the over the firefighting business and made some progress. So like that was kind of an, an interesting thing because like Nick wanted a Leonard to also be involved, the no name boots guy. So they kind of did that together. And then like some of this, I will be totally upfront, is kind of pieced together. So we've interviewed Leonard, we've interviewed some of the children of. Gary, you know, there's no like archivists or, or anything like that, so we're kind of working back from maybe some hearsay, but uh, that's that's kind of our understanding. So then, yeah, it goes to Gary Myers, and that's when they start making the Wildland firefighting boots.
1: Interesting, because a lot of what I understand about the Gary era is that it was also rodeo time and western, and then and they made western boots. Yep, and was it full on cowboy boots or more packer?
0: Um, no, I mean, they were fun. Like we still have some sitting around and they'll have like the embellishments and like ostrich skin wings, you know, on the side of them. And they're cool. Like it's interesting. Like we still have some of these last hanging around. Shameless plug here, but we will have like a roper style work boot coming out this year. Good.
1: Uh, it's not like a dress cowboy boot. It'll be very, very work focused. I'm getting more just interested in Western boots. You know, period. We ran a great interview with Lisa Sorrell, who's kind of an icon in the space. And yeah, it's one of the American styles of of footwear making, right? I would say cowboy boots are probably the
0: purest American footwear. It's kind of like jazz with music, right? It's like the only truly American form. And like our boots descended from whites. And that's like a very Northern European German heritage and it obviously has evolved over the over time and and sure i think it's very authentically pacific northwest you know born out of the logging industry out here but yeah i mean a cowboy boot nobody else really developed them like anything equivalent i think in at least that i know of you know outside of
1: the u.s no 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 i mean that was that was and it's not just the look you know it's the construction it's everything so yeah it's i mean it's cool to have that as part of the knicks history you know hopefully a little bit of the future i'm pretty game for that quick sidebar Away from Nick's, you mentioned No Name Boots which and Leonard, which I know a little bit about, but not that much. Like, what's the story there and the connection and all that? Yeah, I mean, he worked at Nick's back in the day, you know, like the 80s,
0: 90s. He's got his own, I think it's a one-man shop, you know, and he'll make very elaborate boots for people out here. I definitely encourage people to check them out. It's not like you can go online and buy them. You got to be here, you know, so... um, you know, he's been an int- actually a really great resource for us. So, you know, I think for me, there are definitely pros and cons of coming into the boot industry, maybe later in life. One of the pros is that I get to learn a lot from these other sources. And Leonard has been really gracious with his time with us, and uh, has, has helped us kind of uncover some of that heritage and help translate that into current products that, you know, we'll be launching in the future. Love it, man. Good on Leonard. You know, there was the Petrilli's. So like Frank Petrilli, his brother and that was also a big focus on fire in the 90s. And then we got to Dick Hoseley in the 2000s. And then my dad bought the business in 2013. That 90 to, to 2013 period, we don't know a ton about that time. It is kind of an interesting dynamic, like where you have five different owners over the years. And the business changes to certain degrees, you know, throughout that transition. And um, it's got a lot of heritage, but, you know, maybe not as much continuity.
1: I mean that's the interesting thing about it, right? It seems like everybody has some sort of spin on the brand and the business and the product. What's your spin so far? I want to make the
0: best boots in the world
1: and I want to offer the best customer experience in
0: the world. Period. That's really our goal. Customer service especially I don't think was a strength of the PNW boot industry in 2020 when I took over and I saw that as an opportunity to to differentiate. So we've really invested in people to service the customers and also i'd say like you know policy changes 2020 you know you couldn't do like returns for a lot of these you got your custom boots and like they didn't fit it was almost like your fault, you know, like you measured it wrong or something like that. And I remember coming into that and just being like, this is kind of crazy. The amount of consideration that already goes into purchasing the product is very high. So how do you make that more seamless? Like, I don't know. I don't want to like toot my horn or anything like that, but like the, we came up with the buy with confidence program. And I believe we were the first to offer that. And that that is now fairly ubiquitous across the niche. We want to expand into adjacent products that can you know, benefit from our construction techniques. The tactical boot, for example, the mock-toe, the Chelsea, the hiking boot, you know, the ridgeline, the waterwork. NYX was relatively static, I would say, whether that was sole options or more leather options or minor construction differences like you might see with the 360 stitch down versus 270. We've developed a lot more expertise over the last pretty short period of time. And not necessarily me, but, you know, I'm... Super fortunate to have people who've worked at the business for like twenty plus years, you know, so they know a lot about shoemaking, and they're excited to to kind of come up with new things. Product
1: quality and and customer experience are really focus number one for us. So you mentioned at least five styles. I had a list here: Chelsea boot, tanker boot.
0: Oh, tanker, sure.
1: Side yep. zip, mock toe, new river. For, I mean, this this is like a long list. I don't know if they were pulled out of the vault or whatever. But it seems like they've all been developed in, like, the last three years. Like, how do you manage that development cycle? It seems intense.
0: It is intense. And I think that's one of the benefits of having a factory. So I I used to work in product development before I came over. And we were sourcing stuff in China, you know? And so, like, this was, like, outdoor textile products like covers and umbrellas, and hammocks and stuff. And so you would do sample requests, but you'd have to wait six weeks for the thing to get made and to make it across to travel to to get to you. And you know, that's like the typical American product development experience for anyone in that industry, right? You have long development cycles because there's just a lot of delays in terms of getting the sample runs in. Because we have the means of production here, you know, we can be pretty flexible and come up with new things pretty quickly and You know, I think that's a a great thing about our product is all the boots are made the same way. They're all stitched down. But, you know, like you can add different soles to them. You can add different characteristics that make them more appropriate for certain tasks. And we've just gotten a lot better at it. The Sierra sole, that was probably one of the harder things we've done. And it'll sound like kind of silly. And probably to like more established boot brands, they'll be like, really? That was hard for you? But like we had to figure out a new way to glue it. Our existing gluing process was not good at getting polyurethane and rubber to bond. And when we first launched the development, we were going to buy this sole that vibram made that was pre-glued it was already assembled so it's got like a foam layer and then it's got the rubber bottom and then vibram i'm sure you've probably heard this from everybody is having like a hell of a time with their own production and and labor issues and so they're actually like slimming down their product offerings and so our soul that was going to be used on this model got axed mid-development and so we were scrambling and ended up actually buying some like new heat activator machines that would get to the required temperature to make them bond and it was a lot of trial and error but they work great it looks like it's awesome now those are the things that i think we are going through the process of and learning which makes it possible for us to do these different projects
1: so this is another story that i was i was told by grant we're gonna believe this one because it's it's too good to do otherwise years back I, i have no idea when a logger who may or may not have been named robert walked into the shop and asked for a pair of boots that his wife would let him wear to dinner. And so whoever was in Nick's took a six-inch Ranger boot, apparently, put on a slimmer sole, bam, Nick's lifestyle, the Robert boot. And that's what it used to take to get a new boot made. (laughs) And now, obviously, it's very different. You know, a lot's changed since then in terms of, you know, the development cycle and whatever, and just, like, how Nick's is is thinking about things. And, like, it's, it's pretty interesting. Let's pretend this story is true well the Robert is named after my grandfather actually. God damn it.
0: <laughs> um but the rest of it's probably accurate we actually had a longtime employee who since had to retire due to a non- bootmaking making related medical condition but he helped us develop those patterns and you know made them work for a six inch profile versus the 10 inch black boots that we you know were of what we were making.
1: So, I mean, that's, like, what happened. But, like... What was different there, though? There's a 6-inch boot, there's a 10-inch boot, just chop it down. But no. What else is it? There's more to it, you know? I think, like, if you start, you know, start including, like, the single-piece
0: backstays, like, on the Americana, that was some new development there. Starting to experiment with different top options, like rolled, cut, that sort of thing. I mean, there are some different, like, scaling. So, like, that's something I think we've gotten a lot better with. So, that's literally, like, proportioning the various parts of the pattern so that they they fit proportionally like from like a size six all the way up to like a size 14.
1: What has that overall launch into the lifestyle space been like? You It's been great. I will say like we are still majority work boots. What's the breakdown?
0: Uh, we're about 65-35. Okay. Yeah you know, the heritage space has definitely been growing. It's a different market. There's a strong desire to kind of fight against the seasonality of the work boot and, and fire market. You know, having a, a heritage brand really opens your your sales cycle up in the later part of the year, you know, for holiday, like traditional Q4 retail season. And so that's been a big help, in just kind of smoothing out the operations. It's been a great time. You get to talk to people like yourself and get exposed to a different side of the footwear market. Different leathers, We, like, buy a significant amount of leather from Horween. I remember, like, that's relatively recent, you know, where they'll actually, like, get back to me about something, you know. So, like, we um, (laughs) become meaningful to some people. So that's made the development process a lot easier. And um, the Wicked thing is awesome. It's been kind of steady, the growth. But, like, it's a nice part of, of what we do and I think really lets us offer a different offering to people beyond, you know, your typical CXLs, Predators, and
1: Dress Leathers. What else is different about the mindset maybe or or what's going on in the factory? Like you mentioned that it's kind of the same chassis. I like the way you put that. But obviously these finished products are are different. I don't know what's coming through custom, you know, which side's kind of stronger. But did things have to change over the last three to five years in terms of not just what you're ordering, but how things are operating? It's been an
0: interesting dynamic and it's, it's made our work boot construction better too because... When you were making black boots with black thread, maybe, you know, you could get away with some stitching that was a little wonky. You know, not that we would do that on purpose, but for years, that was, I think, how the space operated. But obviously, now that you're doing, you know, different colors and... um, People are buying them for different reasons. You have to have an attention to detail. You know, the nice thing is, is they are all made the same way. So like, well, if you're going to make your natural CXL sewn really well, well, why not do that for your work boots too? You know? And so we do really have a focus on QC. Obviously we can always get better, but that is something that I think we take a lot of pride in. It has like changed, I would say maybe how we operate a little bit. Like we don't do piecework. We do have team level production goals, but we don't pay by the piece. I mean, it's going to be a hot topic, I'm sure. We think that if you have, give a bootmaker the time to kind of focus on a product, it will make a difference in maybe how cleanly it comes out. So that's kind of a purposeful thing that we try to embrace and instill in in our bootmakers. Why is that a hot topic? Piecework is a very popular thing in the boot world. There's a guy named um, Cruz. And he has a shop named Cruise Boots. He's a very older gentleman. And I think he's kind of towards the end of his career. We've talked to some of these other guys who've been in the boot industry for a long time. And they all swear by piecework. You know, there's this kind of belief that, like, if you're not paying people by the piece, then they're not going to work that hard. And I don't think that's the case, you know. You know, there's pros and cons to it, for sure. But if you're incentivizing people to get the most things out in the shortest amount of time as possible, it just seems to me like that's going to lead to some behaviors.
1: So what's the alternate incentive, I guess, that you're offering? You know, I mean, we have a baseline production goal. If we meet it, that is a
0: certain percentage of the salary as a bonus paid that month. If they exceed it by a certain number, then that's a higher percentage. And if they exceed it again, then it's another tier. But that's basically how it works. It's a team goal. It's a team goal. Everyone's kind of pulling together, and I think that leads to less individualistic behaviors, which I think you can see sometimes if like everybody's paid individually based on their individual output. And so you get some teamwork to maybe come up with new processes, maybe to reorganize the line. Relatively recently, reorganized our, our lasting and bottoming area. We spent a pretty good amount of money for these desks, but it compressed the area that they took up by about half. And kind of had everything now, like, immediately available to the bootmaker as they're kind of going through the the lasting process, then on to bottoming. And so, A, opens up more space, which is great. And B, you know, lets you be a little more efficient. But that wasn't, like, my idea. You know, that was their idea. You know, behaviors align with incentives.
1: Hmm, yeah. No, that's cool. Look, like, you're in a very unique place, like, a literal place, location. Spokane, Washington, where... You think so? I I don't think that there are, (laughs) in in terms of quantity, I mean, think about, like, we're mentioning crews and, like, all these things that came from one thing, and, and now there are other things, and Frank owns Frank's, and his brother used to own Nick's, and everybody used to work at White's, and, like... White's
0: isn't even necessarily the first, which is kind of interesting. There was a boot called Paris Boots. I don't actually know this but I know that like when Paris went out of business whites bought a bunch of their equipment and that helped them. How far Uh, back is Paris? Oh man. Like the city? Uh, I think it's 2R's maybe? Cod like 40's maybe? You know is when that when that transaction happened. I don't know exactly when that business was founded. I mean there's like a lot of shroud of mystery here that we just don't know. The evolution of all these businesses has happened over a pretty long time. You know Nix is like relatively young to this game and we're like Almost 60 years old. School part of the American kind of bootmaking heritage.
1: No, I mean, as an epicenter, it's remarkable, right? Like, and there there used to be these places. There used to be the entire state of Maine. Yep. There used to be certain parts of Massachusetts. Like, all the lasts, as I understand, used to be made, like, somewhere near St. Louis or a whole lot of them. Yeah, Missouri had a huge, like, Monroe and... You know, like, Justin Boots is having a
0: ton of issues right now because they shut down their their factory in Missouri when COVID broke out, kind of, like, panicked, um, and that cut their U.S.-based production by a third, I think, for Chippewa, and they're still recovering. Like, I was talking to George Armstead, who's one of the last remaining shoe equipment sales guys. I
1: highly recommend this episode of Nick's podcast, Start to Finish with George. I loved it. I loved. it. I shot you a note afterwards. Like he tells the whole story, the story of the country through machinery.
0: Right. And he's been doing it for forty years. And he's just like, you know, the rail network, the trucking network just wasn't developed. So like everybody had their own shoe factory. Like remember um, Jumanji,
1: Robin Williams. He's I d- accidentally watched it recently.
0: Okay. Well, his dad, I think owned a shoe factory. He did. Um, And so like, he was just some random town, you know, like he wasn't the precursor to Red Wing or something. It was it was just like random shoe guy. You know, it's, it's interesting to talk to these people and like the concentration that's happened. Yeah, the Northeast obviously was a center. The upper Midwest, Texas with cowboy boots. And then you got little old Spokane with the PNWs. You know, Danner's the big dog. They're not really PNW boots, but their history's in logging boots, you know, and they're in Portland with with Westco.
1: Yeah, I mean, Danner's very different. I Dude, I love Danner's like early pair of mine and kind of, Getting into this, still have them. Danner lights warm today in the snow. They definitely need some new unit souls. Yeah. I'd say there's an outdoors heritage that obviously persists with Danner to this day. That said, not exactly in the slot for, okay, we're competing against each other. Like, does it feel competitive? Does it feel competitive in terms of sales and in terms of... In terms of workforce right like there's only so many people to go around unless you make new ones
0: no definitely not with danner i mean it's like red wing it's like oh yeah i'm competing with red wing no well
1: let's, let's knock danner out of the picture okay who are you talking you know, about whites franks jk old crews over there
0: i mean kind of i i think like one of my main goals when taken over is differentiation i think that's one reason why you've seen us come out with all the different silhouettes and functional variances and like we want to be a leader, you know, and um, do things our own way. I mean, that's essentially at the root of it. I think the Mokto is a good example of this. And so we've been working on this project for, God, like a year or two. And it involved a special machine. And the Whites came out with their own Mokto. It's a great boot. Perry's great, you know. But it's definitely designed to hit a different price point. Whereas it was never our goal. And I don't think it'll ever be our goal to, to kind of have a lower price line. I tried to be like pretty purposeful about where we had as a business to be different. You know, I think you'll be seeing some things from us that will further that goal, even with our kind of mainline stuff. And it know, never be the intention to like make things less expensive or less high quality. It's always going to be moving in that direction of trying to offer the best boot. I try not to think about the competitive landscape just because like it, it kind of like can get in the way of what you're trying to do and make you reactive and. You know, I think it's important to kind of have your vision of what you want to be as a business and just execute on that. Um, And I'm not saying that other people don't do that by any means. I think Weitz is actually a good example of someone who's got a very concrete vision of what they're going to be and they're going to execute on that and probably don't think too much about what else is going on, you know, with the other guys. And I think that's to their credit. You know, I think we're the same way.
1: Look, if everybody actually believes that, I think it can yield some pretty good results. Let's take a break. We'll be right back with Shiloh next boots all right Ticho, we're back we're talking about taft's stitch down boots taft a brand that has done blake has done goodyear welt is going in like a hardcore true stitch down that we know direction and just simple stitch down right like a clark's desert boot real easy super lightweight about as old as it gets and then there's like a really really nice kind of heavy duty double row build it up stitch down and taft's legacy service boot is built like that, and the Legion Chelsea boots that we talked about last time.
2: The Legacy Service boots bring me back to, you know, my first pair of Taft boots, the Dragon boot. Right, which was at the time kind of a new construction for them, a new foray into Goodyear welted footwear, kind of up the quality a little bit, up the ruggedness from the Blake stuff that they were known for exclusively at the time. Really did it for me; brought me in as kind of a footwear enthusiast into the brand. Got to know Corey. Ended up, you know, working for them for a little bit. Are you compromised right now? I don't think so. Uh, I don't think so. Uh. I have so much love for for Taft and for Corey and had a good time, had a good time working for Taft. I liked working there. Ran their store in New York, you know, met like a ton of their customers. It just always was like such positive energy that we would, you know, take like Polaroid photos of people just like super jazzed up. Who got to keep the Polaroid? You or them? I kept the Polaroids. Yeah, I have them in an album uh, in my basement and I flip through them uh, when I feel sad. It's beautiful. That's not true. I left them all in the store.
1: That's more beautiful.
2: Seeing these boots kind of brought that back for me. It brought back that feeling of newness and development for Taft. I've been wearing the Chelsea's. I've been really, really loving them. Just really impressed with what they've done down in Leon. Obviously, there's like some really, really high-quality manufacturing going on i'm super excited man to see a, a service boot constructed this way yeah i was excited when when we kind of heard about this these legacy legacy service boots I feel like they're a good addition to the legacy of taft
1: you know we're creating a legacy right here every week t i have to say with them stealing our name and that whole thing right hmm. i'm okay with it
2: because i think they did a pretty good job i think the legacies have become entwined and boosted each other up oh i think it's a double legacy boost yeah, it's a double legacy boost. Ugh. Absolutely. And you know what else? Double stitch down. Mm,
1: boom. God, it's all right there. It's all right there in the boot, the legacy boot. And don't forget about the Legion Chelsea boot from Taft's new stitch down line. Go check them out. taffclothing.com. Back to the shoe cast. <music> all right, we're back. Shyler Mao, Nick's handmade boots. So, yeah, we're talking about what's going on out in Spokane. Let's zero in a little harder. What's up with Nick's? Like, how are you feeling about how many people you have there these days? And we're going to kind of crack open the whole workforce thing, I guess, now. What do you got? Are you happy with it? Are you looking for more people? How are you feeling about it? It's not that easy to find people who make boots these days. I feel pretty good about it. I mean, we've added
0: 40 people over the last two and a half years. and Many of them have been trained, you know, from kind of zero to, to 60, if you will. Sure. There are certainly times where I'm like, well, I wish you know more people would show up to their interviews, <laughs> but I don't know if the, I don't know if that's di- but I don't know if that's different than how it's ever been. I don't know. Just hire them anyway. I don't know. You know, like I feel like people have always been a little flaky. Um, so I'm certainly not going to be on here being like nobody wants to work anymore or whatever. You know, like I think we can find great people, and we have. I do think like our social media has been. A major asset there. You know, we've got several people that have found us, you know, that reach out to us, and even some people that have like moved from different cities to come work for us. We try and have a really great working environment. I think like it's a different, I don't, I mean, well, I think that's important. It's probably always been important, but it's very important now. People need to feel valued and. They're part of a greater whole, and you know, we're all working towards this together. And you know, I think it's about a good vibe. You know, can you have a good vibe in your workplace? And um, do people feel comfortable there? Do they want to spend time there? I actually don't feel like I've had a huge problem hiring on the production side. There have been moments where it's been hard to find people on the customer service side not insurmountable i think that's just really like we do kind of ask for a lot from those folks and it can be i think maybe intimidating to kind of learn about a field like this where you know it is like a high touch kind of luxury experience in some ways you know i think we've got a lot better with training people too but i do need to hire like one or two people you know because we do continue to grow some of that's on like the small goods side so like we have a nice you know belt business or doing some other things there
1: Was there something you were paying people as a bootmaker or whatever? And you, you mentioned the incentives, et cetera. So maybe that's part of it that stopped working at some point in the last three years you said, we got to reevaluate this. Our wages have certainly increased, if that's kind of what you're getting at. It's a more but, direct way of saying it, yes. Yeah,
0: yeah, for sure. I mean, that was kind of part of the plan. Like, we've exceeded inflation, for sure, with our increases from a kind of median standpoint. But it certainly would have been nicer to have more of that money go into the pocket of the worker versus getting kind of eaten away by all that's been going on. But this didn't change. But we do still offer, like, fully paid health care, for example, and stuff like that. that. But that's that's been the case for a while. But yeah, no, we've had to pay people more, um, and they deserve it. We've been fortunate to kind of continue to, to get the support of the customers. And um, I take a lot of pride in that. Like, we want it to be a good place to work. You know, a lot of people talk about, like, thriving wages. But, like, how do you make it a place to work where, like, people can actually achieve some of their goals?
1: We pay well above the median for the area, and um, that's a big focus for us. So for any job, you know, happiness, it's kind of, well, are you getting paid enough? And what's everything else? You mentioned the vibe earlier. You know, I had this conversation over and over and over, especially for the last couple of years, just trying to figure out the best way that the best places do it. Okay, so, you know, salary is good. Great. What else? This isn't easy work. Like, it's not simple work. There's always a more forgiving job, especially like on one's body. What else is there? I worked at a startup before this and watched the whole thing grow and everybody got sick of the ping pong table eventually. How do you keep something sustained as a company grows past, like, oh, yeah, here we are all just playing really bad ping pong? Like, what's the old cliche? Like, people don't leave jobs. They
0: leave managers. How do you have, like, a leadership structure that does genuinely, like, care about you as an employee? And it's not really me, although I certainly, like, try and demonstrate that. But it's like, it's about our production manager search. He's great with people. You know, he makes people feel like he actually cares and he teaches you know, Rebecca, our customer service manager, like has a good, good finger on the pulse of kind of how her people are doing. And then like, you're there for eight hours. So sure, you know, we don't have a ping pong table, but are you working with people you like, you know, who are respectful, who are like, kind of fun to be around? Maybe do you even like do things with them outside of work? We do have a pretty good dynamic there. I think those are like, probably the most important things, you know, aside, obviously making sure you're, you know, paying people enough, but like, is it, a, is it a good place to work? Do you like the people that you work with? Are you respected by your manager? Do you feel like there are opportunities for advancement? The customer facing jobs can sometimes be harder to fill than the the ones on the line. And I do think there are a lot of people out there that like working with their hands, you know, and that like having a specific task to perform. And a big emphasis of, us, uh, of ours is cross-training. So like you don't have to do the same thing every day, you know, so you do get some variety to it. And I think that's a big benefit of our growth, right? Like if you're only a 24 person shop, Some people get kind of stuck in certain roles because they're the only ones that can do it. But, you know, as we've grown, we've been able to kind of offer people the opportunity to do multiple things. How far does that extend? One of our cutters was a sewer. Another one of our cutters was a customer service person. One of our sole stitchers is a a laster. There's quite a bit of crossover. I will say like the transition from sewing to other parts is less common than kind of moving around the other part of the business. But- It does happen, like I mentioned. It's all about keeping it interesting, right? I think so. You don't want to be like hammering the same nail every day.
1: Some people do. Some people (laughs) want to be
0: really perfect at hammering that nail. That's true. Our main healers are, they really like to heal. At
1: least I'd like to provide that option to people. Yeah, yeah. All these people doing their jobs. How are you feeling about lead times and all that right now?
0: They're coming down a bit. We've gotten capacity up as we've gotten into this year. And so I would expect to see like additional quick ship options added Uh, for the full customs. You know, I'd say we're still at like five to six months, but we have been worse than that. If you can believe that. I do believe that. I mean, I've seen what's happened the last three years. Yeah. So I obviously would not like to be at five to six months forever. So it is a bit of a tough situation, right? Because it's like, so you can, you know, how do you reduce your lead times?
1: This is a question for me. I love this on your podcast now, send out terrible boots to everybody. That, <laughs> they, they might not even be boots. That's right. Pieces of leather. Yeah. You, you, reduce your sales or you increase your capacity, right?
0: I don't think anybody wants to reduce their sales and also increasing your capacity. It's like kind of a fixed, relatively fixed level that you that you become at. And so then you need, you're going to want to increase your sales once you get through your back, your backlog. Maybe, yeah, your sales will just naturally rise with shorter lead times. So that's, definitely possible. But it's like a balancing act, right? Like, so, you know, people talk about book to build, which would be like a typical metric in our in any manufacturing space. And, you know, a perfect book to build would be 100%, you know, 100% of what you make ships out. But we obviously exceeded that for a while, especially during the pandemic. But I think we're reaching some, a little bit more equilibrium. I mean, some of those months were just crazy, not necessarily top line, but just because of where we were at from a capacity standpoint. And so now I think we've you know, we've staffed up quite a bit, as I mentioned, and we can we can put out a lot more boots uh, these days than we than we did in the past.
1: Well, I mean, it seems like keeping up with your you know marketing and content onslaught has got to be tough, right? I think that it's pretty safe to say between the YouTube channels, Instagrams, all the video there, you're not avoiding customers and and new customers. The podcast again, which is threatening this very podcast that you came on in some sort Never. of. show of force like i don't know when when was that decision made to say yeah we're gonna film everything and we're gonna turn grant into just like a front man for this whole thing and just and work the guy who probably has other things to do it's been incredible i think yeah no it's it's awesome just showing people what this is like to for me to sit down and say oh yeah yeah Nick's," you know i love that it's kind of pinned at the top of your youtube page with like yeah, this video of making boots got nine million views. Like, people care. People care about this stuff. Where did it all come from? You know, because that that wasn't happening that that long ago. I mean, Grant is a total ham, so he like loves
0: that stuff. So like, <laughs> he's great at it. That's really part of my initiative to cross train and offer people the opportunity to do the things that they love. The videos, I would say, really came about in. March of like 2021, where you had a lot of changes happening within the social media ecosystem, right? Like TikTok was basically starting to mess things up for YouTube and Instagram. 2010 to 2020 was very image driven with like Instagram in particular. And I think some of our competitors were very good at that. Who do you think had the most Instagram followers in like 2020 in our little boot space?
1: That particular one up there? I mean,
0: Whites. It was Truman. Truman
1: no shit. Yeah, Truman
0: was is and is awesome. Great boots, you know, nothing bad to say, but they were very quick to jump on the Instagram channel and 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 populate it. But, you know, a change happened as we all know, and now like short form videos are really where it's at. Long form videos still still do okay. But I was just like, okay, is this an opportunity to maybe, you know, get some additional exposure? Can we afford not to invest in this? And so, you know, we brought on some videographers and um, Nathan Cromer, who's our senior brand manager, he's done a really great job with, with planning that out. And, you know, the beautiful thing is like, we're making content every day, whether we mean to or not showing how that's made, you know, how it's made our, our best performing videos. That's been a really key driver for our success, but, you know, it was kind of a grind at first, like you're banging your head against a wall. And I don't think, you know, we didn't really pop until like fall of 2021.
1: That's a year and a half ago. Yeah, exactly. Like to see those numbers, whole lot of crooked numbers in a year and a half. Like That's heartening to me from a more people than I maybe ever hoped could love great footwear perspective, right? I think you're really well
0: positioned. There's definitely an increased interest in
1: stuff that lasts.
0: You're in the, in the enviable position of A, not having to have a factory to make things. And B, you can hedge your bets and you can work with everybody. Only if they're good. That's a great spot. Well, fair enough. Thank you. We, we thank you for that. But like, I think this, the social media space has been transformational, but it's like changing again. That's what stresses me out the most is like, how do you keep on top of it? How do you keep things fresh? How do you have content that resonates, you know, given changing tastes and, you know, people coming out with similar stuff and staying ahead of the of the tide? That's the hard thing about Having a business. We've got to stay true to who we are, but we've also got to keep things fresh and knowing where that line is and actually doing like coming up with good things is is challenging.
1: Speaking of coming up with good things, are you actually, it's on the page, you kind of have to do it. What's your outlook, let's say, on building a pair of Shell Cordovan Builder Pros as a prize for the Stitch Down Patina Work Thunderdome? What do you mean? Is aware going to be able to move in them effectively? Are these a pure showpiece
0: no like <laughs> most of the boots from world war ii were made out of horse hide there's nothing i don't think inherently non-functional it's just super expensive so people don't make
1: work boots out of it
0: no we made some we've made some in the past and they're great you know there'll be a show stopper on the line that's for sure
1: i would recommend training your video cameras uh on that shiny beautiful leather the whole way through
0: we, we have there's a video on it um i think we made some for
1: for weston at some point of course Well, you know as long as he kept them in one piece.
0: Yeah. No. Well. Yeah. They. They. I don't. They were not for cut in half. Like
1: I can't wait to see who wins those things. The 1964 rough out builder pros. I posted them a couple of days ago. God, that stuff looks incredible. What was it like developing that stuff with Seidel? And also, how do you pronounce Seidel or Seidel? Um, I incorrectly pronounced them Seidel. So it is Seidel. It is Seidel.
0: Yeah. Oh, good. Yeah. No, they're great. I mean, we. They're our biggest source of leather. It took forever. Like it took like a year and a half. But, you know, the goal really was to reproduce what did leather used to be like? You know, we had some boots that had come back like over the years, whether it was rebuilt and that sort of thing. And we were kind of just like, man, this leather in like back in the day, you know, was very supple. It was It was heavily impregnated with oils. And this was our attempt to recreate that. And so the brown was also kind of a riff on like that chocolate. Tannage, that chocolate color, maybe a little more red. But uh, lots of sampling, you know, and, and so far we've been able to kind of keep it for ourselves, which is awesome. You know, that was part of our strategy is like let's offer two different tannages for the for the work boot line or the heritage boot line if you want that. And so we do have that like classic alpine tanned max support, which is, you know, stiffer. Um, but I think some people may like that, you know, if they like a little extra support in the ankles or, or whatnot. Um, whereas the 64 is kind of going to be similar to like, but different, but to the oil tans that are used probably in the rest of the PNW industry.
1: So, you know, we can, we can kind of meet both needs. Beautiful, man. It's, it's cool stuff. I think it's perfectly appropriate for, for lifestyle, especially that rough out. This guy's been working on, but fuck, they look good.
0: Yeah. Rough out is awesome. It always surprises me how good it turns out
1: because like, even if you
0: don't love the nap, you know, like it goes away after a while and really gets kind of ground down unless you're, you know, of course like wire brushing it frequently, but yeah, no, it's a, it's a great way to go.
1: All right. I got to spring this one on you last. I have what I believe to be a well-founded evidence-driven outlook that the Knicks 55 last and the whites 55 last is not the same 55 last or how you're building boots around it is just so different that it looks different and fits different. What are your thoughts on this?
0: Oh man. Um, The funny thing is I don't actually know that much about White's boots. Like I don't make them. Uh, We tear them down, but I would say like we have done rebuilds on whites for years and generally rebuild them to the same size. And I'm not aware of a ton of issues that came up because of that but it's certainly possible man I mean like the drift over 60 years could definitely happen like the patterns are different Nick Bacusin like he he developed his own patterns for the work boots so I think it's certainly possible that the lasts were different but I don't I don't
1: know we'd, we'd
0: have to maybe Kenny and I can get together and we'll we'll compare lasts to one another
1: I'd be very interested in that
0: yeah that'd be fun but I'm not aware of of that being the case. But that it would not
1: shock me. It wouldn't shock me either. From personal experience, and and
0: honestly, that'd be cool. Like you know, we want to be different. So,
1: well, uh, yeah, and I think that so they are they
0: are different. Ben, I'm I'm gonna say that now. they are
1: different, right? I'm glad that we established that. And, and let's face it, if they size differently, you know, I don't think it's anything for anybody to be. ashamed. Nobody's saying you know, this one's better, this one's worse. But they do. They appear to be different, and in my experience, they definitely fit different. And you're the first one who has even vaguely ever admitted that. I mean, we make the boots a little differently. You know, I mean, our shank is different. Our liner leather is different.
0: Are certainly not like looking at their boots and being like, oh, well, we're going to do it this way. And, like, you know, it's, it's just like organically happened over the years where we use some different materials and
1: it happens. See, I think that's the most fascinating aspect of this is that maybe it is the same and they just render different.
0: Yeah, could be. I've heard our heels are taller. So, I don't know.
1: Yeah, I mean, on a similar boot, probably. I should go stack those up next to each other. But, I don't know. I mean, look, the whole thing's pretty mystical, right? There's a way to do it, and there's a book you can read, and there's a way to train somebody to operate a machine. But, in the end of the day, the best shoes don't quite make sense in the way that you might expect. And that's beautiful to me.
0: I, I think that's an interesting part of footwear in general. So, Grant had an interview with this guy named Marcel Merson who's... Uh, it was a great
1: one, too. Deep
0: in the like high end you know, footwear market, but he makes bespoke shoes, and he had this like, I think the line of the podcast so far is like, you're not fitting people's feet, you're fitting their mind. You have like this different perception of like what what should a shoe feel like, and I have 100 you know had somebody who's had the same foot pretty much as somebody else, the same shoe once fits perfect, like one feels perfect to them, and the other one all a little loose, you know, like, or it's a little tight. And um, I think people just have different preferences on how things fit. And that's why, like, I'm kind of hesitant on, like, a lot of these, like, volumetric tools, these scanning tools, because I don't think it's as simple as a mathematical equation. You know, you've got, like, somebody's gait, their level of physical fitness, how strong is their foot, you know? like, Like, all these different things impact the fit because it's not a static thing, right? You've got to walk around in it. That's part of the mystery of this, and and hopefully we can, you know, continue to try and make it clearer and and more transparent, but it's a tough thing to fit somebody's mind.
1: That really is a great line. Yeah, I think that it's a little easier to fit somebody's mind with, you know, an athletic shoe, a running shoe, something like that, that that has more give. And when you get into this stuff, an individual's preference is amplified by, or not amplified by, the product itself and, and the way that it fits, Right yeah everything becomes a lot more noticeable.
0: What's the expectation and like you know, and some people just don't know right? like
1: I wore a d with for years,
0: but I kind of randomly tried an e and um I liked it better, but like does that mean the d didn't fit me? No, not really like the d serviced me well for for many years. you know, maybe I got a little a little fatter, a little flatter with the feet, and so wanted a little more a little more wiggle room you know grant like. I don't know, I almost panicked when he said it, but he's like, Oh, I wear an A and a D like the most. And I'm like
1: we should shouldn't be saying that. I'm like, What? But like, there's, people
0: listen to that show. I know, exactly. Well, I'm like, <laughs> that's like a pain tolerance thing. Customers. You know? I'm like, okay, so you are willing to basically be uncomfortable for weeks in order to, to make this uh stretch out. But it's leather, so it will stretch out eventually. Are you willing to, to get the blisters to do it? I don't think we should ask anybody to do that.
1: Buy it with confidence, size it with confidence. That's right. Fucking A to D. That doesn't make any sense. But we all agree, Grant's a nice guy. So really can't fault him for anything other than that.
0: No, he calls it like like it is for him. And it's all about transparency and being as authentic as possible.
1: Look, man, keep it up. We got to call it somewhere. Huge thanks to Taft for sponsoring this episode. Head on over to see some stitch-down boots that I didn't personally make at taftclothing.com. Thank you, Taft. Thank you, Taft. If you care about the shoe cast even a bit, we'd love if you considered supporting it by becoming a Stitchdown Premium member and joining the Discord. Or if you hate that kind of stuff, I don't know, subscribing and, and leaving reviews. That's that's good too. We would love that. Most of all, thank you to Shyler, Nick's Handmade Boots for coming on. This is great, man.
0: Hey, Ben, a lot of fun. Thanks for having me. And um, I'll see you in October for a super secret event that um, we're all very excited to participate in. Yeah, we're gonna go all out, man, and uh, bring all our friends and other, you know, as many people in the boot world as we can, and support you, support us. But, but I think like the most important thing is to make it a really fun event for people
1: who are really into shoes. I think they're gonna love it. Look, that's it for this week. Take care of your shoes. We'll see you next time.